Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast, talking all things running and triathlon, from injury through rehabilitation and into performance. My name is Matthew Boyd, I'm a physiotherapist living in Red Deer, Alberta, originally from the UK, and I'll be your host. Hi guys, today we are talking about running technique a topic that some of you may know I am very interested in and have written and posted quite a lot about in the past. What I wanted to do today was to try and start at the sort of basics, the fundamentals, and talk to someone about what we actually know about running technique, particularly in terms of performance. So what are the important things to look out for? What do we have evidence that we can say that certain things are to be avoided and some things should be changed or modified or what to look for and what do we not have evidence for. So what is commonly thought of as ways to improve technique that might potentially be incorrect. So I could think of nobody better to get on the show to talk about this than Tom Goom. For those of you who don't know, Tom is a physiotherapist and a keen runner, but also has established himself as somewhat the go-to expert on all things running physio. In fact, his website, running-physio.com, is one of the principal resources that I've referred to and many other physiotherapists and other clinicians around the world refer to in order to help better educate ourselves on optimal running injury management and other such things. So I would definitely recommend you check that out. I'm going to put links to that in the show notes and we're going to talk quite a bit about how to look at your own techniques or running step rate, cadence, overstriding, hip adduction, trunk lean, all that kind of stuff. Very interesting. And uh, so without further ado, let's get into it. So Tom Goo, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for the invite. I've been looking forward to it. So could you tell us a little bit about you and your professional work to start with? Yes, so um, I'm Tom Goom, uh, but I often uh, get referred to as the running physio. And that's because through the years, I've combined my passion for running and love for physio together to specialize in uh, the treatment of running injury. Uh, so I, I see mainly runners in clinic, um, also a little bit involved in research and teaching other therapists um, how to get good results with runners that they see. Wonderful. Yes. And uh, you have the Running Physio website, which is you know, it's quite the resource. I've spent many an hour on that website over the years and referred many clients to different articles from it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible contribution to, to the physio running field. So thank you for that. Thanks. That, yeah, that's very kind. Um, I, think, I think really the, the thing that I've always enjoyed is that as you learn more things from research and working with runners and chatting to other therapists, like it, it can really translate into getting better results for patients. And that's what really excites me about it. You know, I am a bit of a running geek, but when you come across a new bit of research and you think, oh, I can think how this will help, you know, this patient and this patient and this patient, that that's where I find it quite exciting. Okay. And today we're going to talk about running technique, which I know you know quite a lot about. And the reason I wanted you on the show is because I want to talk about, you know, what are the parts of running technique that have some evidence behind whether we should adjust them or not adjust them, whether they impact performance or injury rates and, and not so much just the, what pops up on Instagram as a good or good not technique. You know, <laughs> I want to try and um, stick with what we have evidence for if, if possible. 
So in terms of running technique, if we were going to look, uh, we'll sort of maybe start with performance. Mm-hmm. What are you, what are the aspects of running technique that you think have some decent evidence or that we can be fairly confident are related to performance? Yes, good good question. Um, I think I, I would start by saying that this is there's come some mixed findings in the research and things with this. So um, we're not a hundred percent sure from the research. We're not in a position where we we can say all runners should do this, this, and this, and they'll all get faster. So I think that's important for the listeners to to recognise and to recognise that when you see things on social media where people are saying oh, these are the three things you must do, etc. I think we always need to take it with a bit of a, a pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some areas which seem to be coming out in the research and that would tie in with my um, clinic ex- uh, clinical experience, which would be useful to to look at. Um, so one of the first ones would be um, looking at, at overstriding, um, and that, that is a tendency to land out in front of your body on a, on a fairly straight knee, um, and that seems to be associated with reduced efficiency, um, and that potentially is something that we can uh, address uh, through various cues. Um, a second one would be hip adduction, so how much the the leg moves towards the midline. And a telltale mm-hmm. sign if someone's got a fair amount of hip adductions, their knees will tend to brush together during running. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that one's been associated with um, inefficiency as well, potentially. Um, and there's also trunk lean. If a, a large forward trunk lean is thought to be less efficient. So these are three potential areas that we, we could look at um, and try and address. Okay, well, the one of those that I'm least familiar with will be trunk lean. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, is it something you look at? How do you identify it? How do you, what what impact does it have? Uh, how might you change it? That kind of stuff. Yes, so uh, this this um, finding comes from research by Follander tool in 2017 uh, that they suggested that an increased forward trunk lean was associated with reduced efficiency. Um, now, as with anything, any change you make in running, it has pros and cons, and that's why it's so difficult to come up with um, you know very definitive guidance. So, any change you make to your running style takes effort, particularly initially. And that effort has an energy cost, which reduces your efficiency. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, particularly in the early stages of making the change, the effort involved with making the change outweighs any benefits you get from it. So that's something we've got to bear in mind with any of these changes. So we think if you're leaning forward a fair amount, that, that may reduce your efficiency. The, the positive side to it, in a way, is it can reduce the stress on the knees. So sometimes people might do that as a, as a way to reduce stress on their knees if their knees are sore. Um, but if you, you try and address it, you can uh, cue runners to, to run taller, or mm-hmm. I will get them to look just above the horizon for a while, just to try and bring them up a little bit taller and see how that feels for them. Um, it's okay for that to take a little bit of effort initially, but it should feel fairly comfortable. I mean, that's how you know with these changes, if it feels like a huge effort to maintain, it's probably making you less efficient, I would say. Mm. And a common cue that I've seen with drills is this sort of lean forward from the ankle kind of idea. And it sounds like what you're saying there contrasts with that, or is that, you know, is one maybe leaning more at the hips and more one a sort of general incline of the 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 whole body as a unit like what what do we can we separate yeah, those out good, good 
good question. I would I would imagine that the the trunk lean is more about leaning forward from the hips. Um, and the <clears throat> leaning forward for the ankle is more about kind of the angle of the body as a whole. But that is one of those tips that I, I've not really seen evidence to, to show that that's more effective. Now, this is a thing we're involved and interested in research. That doesn't mean that we completely dismiss it and throw it in the bin, but we just recognize that perhaps there isn't evidence out there yet to show it helps people. Mm -hmm. um, or at least there isn't any that I've seen. There's lots of research being published all the time. Okay. And in terms of identifying that, is it just, you know, slow-mo video from the side that you take, you could, you know, a runner could take from their phone. And then it, uh, what point during the, let's, um, gate cycle would be the term. I'm not sure a better way to describe mm -hmm. it for the listener, but it's just, uh, the, the way that you put your foot down and, and push off it. <laughs> At what point during that step are we looking for trunk lean? Um, you, you'll probably see it throughout most of the, okay. of the gate cycle, to be honest, trunk lean. Um, but yes, a side view of a runner would be the, the best way to get that. And you do want to be kind of directly on from the side if you can. If you're videoing at an angle, you'll obscure some of the things that you mm. want to see. But you'll see it through you'll see it through most of the running gate cycle if someone's leaning a long way forward. And it's not there's not a, a cutoff here that we can say, you know, mm. five degrees is okay, 10, 10 degrees is too much. It's more with these things if we if we think, okay, that looks like quite a lot of, of movement there. Let's see how it feels if we if we change it for that yeah, and I suppose it feel that, more comfortable. Right. If you're doing it a lot, so you have a large sample in your mind of runners, so you have a sort of imagine, uh, I don't know, like a, a visual vault in your mind of all the runners you've looked at. So you can imagine a sort of normal distribution. And then for you, something might look unusually forward leaning, but that's going to be more difficult for a runner looking at their own technique who probably doesn't look at running technique very much. It, it is. Yeah. But, so it, so it, I think, I think it's quite useful to have someone have a look at your, yeah. at your running gait. There's someone who feels comfortable to assess it because it is quite complex really. Um, and I think it's also worth recognizing that it probably isn't the first thing you want to do if you want to improve your performance. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's usually other things that will give you more, more bang for your buck. Um, so pro probably, you know, the, the big ones would be looking at your training, and how it progresses, how it's structured. Um, that makes a huge difference to your performance. Uh, how your recovery is planned in there, because if the recovery is right, it lessens your fatigue and that's a big boost for performance. If the recovery isn't right, then you're, you're in a fatigued state and that's gonna have a knock-on effect on things. And then thinking about bringing in strength and conditioning, because that does have fairly consistent evidence that can help us. So if a runner comes to me and they want to boost performance, those would be the things I'd want in place mm. first. Because yeah. as we've talked about, there's kind of a trade-off with the, with the gate changes. It won't always give you as much back as you might hope, especially in the short term. Yeah. So you may get lower hanging fruit elsewhere. Um, yes. If you don't have those things you just mentioned in place, like a good training um, routine and potentially some strength training and that kind of stuff, then maybe running technique isn't the place to try and knock four minutes off your 5k time. Uh, you might be better looking at other things you can optimize first and then coming back to technique. Yeah, yeah, you've absolutely. you've got those sort of in place. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that 5k time is a good example. If you're training, if your goal is to, to improve your 5k time in something like a park run um, and you're training 
structure doesn't include any higher intensity running, then that would be the first thing to look at. Well, let, you know, perhaps we want to bring in some training at, um, at, at that actual goal pace that you want to hit during that or above that goal pace in, in uh, intervals. Um, or perhaps we need to get you training more frequently if you're only doing a couple of runs a week. So I, I think quite often for, for many runners I work with, there are ways that they can, they can get more out of their training as a first step. Um, and again, it's, it's good to seek advice on this, you know, uh, running coaches are fantastic and helping people with this. So, you know, just uh, seeking uh, some advice from them can make a big difference. Yeah, I got into triathlon a couple of years ago and I was struck by with the swimming. I don't haven't looked at the evidence significantly for this, but it really felt like technique made a gigantic difference to how what my pace was compared to my effort. And I never really felt that with running. You know, you, mm. I, I've read quite a bit of research on it. And in theory, I can see that more um, economical techniques exist, right? You know, if you look at elite runners, they run in a sim more similar way than the, the typical recreational runner who have a very wide variety of styles. Mm. But it's not like with the swimming where you, you know, it's 10 times harder if you have poor technique. It's it's a bit harder, you know, is that is that fair? Yeah, I, I think that is fair. I mean, you'll see even at the elite level, even the world's best runners will have techniques that sometimes um, don't look exactly how we might expect them to. And that might be a useful part of their running uh, technique. And um, we also see from some of the research that our running technique evolves over time, the more we run. So, you know, if your training is right, then you, sh you should see gradual improvements um, in your running technique over time. Mm. And it will hit probably a point where it's kind of optimized as far as you can, you know, it will go as far as you can with that approach. But, you know, practice does make perfect to some degree. You will see improvements there. You know, and there's this constant feedback loop that happens. You run and you can feel how much effort it is. You can feel how comfortable it is. And you, you will adjust your technique subtly alongside that, which is all part of this way of, of gradually improving your own technique um but there might be some times where a, a subtle change and i do think subtle is often best might help you a little bit providing you've got those other things in place that we talked about okay well if we come to hip adduction so just for the listener mm -hmm. if we're looking at a runner from behind and when their foot is on the ground their let's say their knee is coming over towards the other knee or towards the midline that's the more that happens is more hip adduction and you mentioned that as one of the other three things in terms of performance that you're interested in running technique wise so how much is too much uh how would we know do we know <laughs> yeah it's another it's another one where honest answer I, I don't think we can say how much is too much it is a little bit of a question of you know looking at it seeing you know eyeballing it a little bit and seeing whether you feel that there's a room for improvement it's a little bit like if you hang a picture up you know, you can look at a picture and say, yeah, that's not quite straight, you know, e even without getting out your spirit level. Most of mm -hmm. us will notice if there's if there's enough of a difference from where we want it to be. And it's almost a bit like that. You know, it's, you can look at it and see, OK, yeah, there's enough there for me for me to think that, mm. that we might be able to change this. And, you know, a, a, a telltale sign is the knees brushing together mm. um, for most of the time that's going to occur because there's more hip adduction. Now, there is some research to show this is associated with reduced efficiency. And it, it makes sense if you think about it, we're trying to go forward. 
Um, and this is not a movement which takes us forward. Mm -hmm. It's it's a movement sideways, if you like, the knee moving sideways towards the midline. So um, that movement, then, it, again, it has a cost to it. There's effort to control it. So if we can minimize it, it should, in theory, make us more efficient. Um, again, I say in theory because you would need to concentrate on addressing it. So the cue I would most often use is don't let your knees touch. Mm -hmm. um, so that will um, allow a runner to produce a little space between the knees. Doesn't need to be big at all. You know, size of a, a table tennis ball really is enough, but a little space between the knees and try and maintain it. Now, what um, runners will often find is initially they will overcorrect. Mm. So they will go really wide, like they've just got off a horse, and that will be much less efficient and feel very uncomfortable. So I think it is one where if you want to try it, it's really helpful to have a bit of guidance and to, again, make it a subtle change so that it doesn't feel really awkward. Yeah, I found with that one, sometimes when I'm trying to cue people to um, increase hip abduction, right? So to, to try and lessen that knee coming over, they widen their feet. Um, yeah. Is that something you found? And, and is there a way to avoid that? Yes, that is that is what tends to happen. So um, if I'm doing it with a, a runner in clinic, we want to give them feedback as they're doing it. So I, I often verbal feedback to start with. So I might say, okay, you've come a little bit too wide there or you point, bring, brought your feet out rather than knees um, or even better visual feedback. So you can put a mirror in front of them mm. or you can show, you know, video it and show them uh, with technology these days, you can, you can video someone from behind and have the video appear in front of them so they can see in real time what's going on. And that, mm. that allows them to adjust it. Uh, usually the visual feedback is the way to go. And again, it's, it's, it's why sometimes with these things, you're best to have somebody help you with it. It's not an mm -hmm. easy thing to do on your own when you can't really see the changes you're making. Yeah, I mean, millions of times I've found you just show someone something, say, this is what you're doing. This is what I'd like you to do instead. Have a go. And it, it's incredible how often that works. And yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's just because we don't always have to put images and ideas and movements into words. We can just, we know what they are in, a, I don't know, a different part of our brain. You know, and mm -hmm. once someone's seen it, they're like, oh, yeah, okay. I see my knee coming in there. That, there we go it's not <laughs> and, yeah and then Absolutely. do you then ask someone you know how hard does that feel or or and you're looking for a small maybe increase in difficulty or small awkwardness or are yeah. you okay if they're like man this is hard i'm really concentrating yeah i don't i don't want it to feel like a lot of effort so what i usually do is get people to work on it for bursts of about 20 to 30 seconds mm. and and then i'll ask them how does that feel today and sometimes I say, yeah, actually feels really nice, really comfortable, feels easier. Brilliant. Okay, so that's a sign that you're going to be able to manage this. Other times you can see, although the, the speed hasn't changed, because quite often we do this on the treadmill so we can keep the speed steady, they'll, they'll be puffing and panting and they'll be saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of effort. And, you know, mm. okay, this is too big a change, um, at least for them at this moment. Um, so again, I mean, you can, if you want to, you can be super, super scientific with these things, but most, most recreational runners won't, won't go to that level. You can use things like a rate of perceived exertion scale, where you get the runner to, to run with their normal style and, and score the effort out of 10 at a certain speed, you know, where 10 is maximum and zero is no, uh, no effort at all. Then you try a cue and you say, okay, how does it feel now? 
you know, and I might accept a, a one point change, maybe, maybe a two point at the absolute most, but certainly not more than that, really. Mm. Ideally, we want it to stay uh, at the same level um, or, or be slightly less. Right? That small change is acceptable because it's, it's a new movement pattern. Mm. Um, and if you were working with, say, a sports scientist, you might, they might take you into the lab and look at, like, actually test your running economy. And, and there's, you know, various ways you can do that, but then see if, if it actually changes with these different cues. So it all depends on how far you want to take it. For most of us, it really is just a little bit of trial and error. Try something out, see how it feels and go from there. And that's the, the tricky bit with running economy and running efficiency and technique is that you do often see this dip um, in the research where changing technique yeah. seems to make people less efficient. And then the question is, is this a worthwhile endeavor? After a few weeks, uh, you will actually become more efficient. And then I will link to, but we won't go into it, a, a lovely debate from a few years ago on a podcast between you, Greg Lehman, and um, was it Simon Barthold? No. Like Christian Barton. I, I always mix those with, guys up. With yeah. David Pope, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, talking about where these technique changes might be having their effect. And like I said, we won't go into it because it was very much in the weeds, but it was fascinating stuff. So I recommend listeners check that out if they want to dig more into the, the nitty gritty. But then, as you say, we are going to accept if we're going to change someone's technique, a small increase in effort, um, but not a large one. And it should feel maybe a little difficult, a little more difficult, but not a lot. And if it's a lot, it's probably too much of a change. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. So we've looked at the uh, knees coming in, the hip adduction. We've looked at the forward trunk lean. The other thing you mentioned was overstriding. Could you explain a little bit more what that is and how you would determine if someone's doing it and what you might do about it? Yes. So overstriding um, tends to be when we land out um, a long way in front of our body and usually on a fairly straight knee. Um, and the, you, you often see it accompanied by having a low step rate uh, or cadence, as, as a lot of runners will call it. Now, the, the downside with overstriding in terms of the kind of performance side of things is that it's going to increase uh, things like our braking forces, which are um, associated with efficiency. It's probably going to increase the workload uh, for some muscles like the quads and the calf and the glutes that have to manage those increased uh, forces as well. And it usually is associated with other things within the running gait, which are thought to be less efficient. So things like increased hip adduction is quite common to see with overstriding. Things like having quite a long ground contact time. So being in contact with the ground for a long period, again, is thought to be less efficient and is also more commonly seen with overstriding. Um, so there are a number of features of it that we think, okay, this may be not the most efficient way to run. Mm -hmm. um, and then can we potentially change it to lessen those braking forces, to lessen the work required for those muscles, to lessen the period of time in contact with the ground and therefore improve efficiency that way. And how do you determine if that's what's happening? How would a runner know if they're overstriding? Yeah. So again, it's another one of these, um, you know, reframing a picture thing where it's okay. not, there's not a definitive, you know, um, like you, can, you can't look at a run and say, right, this one definitely is. And this one definitely isn't. These are more seeing several features together. Okay. So most of the time, if a runner's landing on a fairly straight knee, they will be doing it a long way in front of their body. 
So we look at, you know, are you landing on a straight knee? Are you quite a long way out in front of your body? Is your step rate quite low? Those are three things that often will go hand in hand mm -hmm. with overstriding. You will often see as well that the runner will tend to land with um, on, on the heel most of the time with uh, a lot of ankle dorsiflexion. So what I mean by that is that the, the foot is angled up off the floor a fair, a fair amount. So mm -hmm. these are, there are several kind of characteristics that you will see going going hand to hand, uh, hand in hand with it, which will make you think, yeah, okay, this person is overstriding. And, and almost, you know, perhaps helpful to see when, you know, when someone isn't, this is a slightly different landing pattern. So, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll land on a, a more flexed knee. Mm -hmm. They'll land with the shin um, in a more vertical position. They'll tend to land with the foot a little bit lower towards the ground. So it's not lifted up quite so much and they'll be closer underneath their body. Mm -hmm. And they'll often have a higher step rate. So you can see, again, all of those characteristics going hand in hand. And it's, it's probably a, a bit of a spectrum, if you like, mm -hmm. you know, between really obvious overstriding and a, and a tiny bit of overstriding um, and seeing where someone sits within that, really. Yeah. And the more obvious it is, the more I would say it's likely to be contributing to reduced efficiency. So if you're like, I, I sometimes find, you know, you get the your slow motion camera and you're you're scrubbing through everything you're like is this where they're taking the weight on the foot and is that shin vertical and trying to measure the knee angle and then i'm like you know if i'm going this in depth looking for something it's probably not there or if it is there it's probably not that important so um you know looking for things that are more obvious i think is a a gist that i'm getting from all three of the things you've mentioned is that you know things that are, are bigger or like a wonky picture on a wall yeah might be worth adjusting and if you're if you're going really in depth trying to find stuff maybe there's not that much improvement to be had and there's probably some other areas of your running that you could look at that might be worth more of your time that's a brilliant way of looking at it yeah and it's in it's it is very similar to that picture on the wall analogy if you're having to get out a um a laser spirit level to determine mm. exactly if it's level or not then you probably don't need to worry, you know, I like that, um, yeah. you know, if you're, if you can look at it from across the room and see, yeah, that's, that's not quite why, what I wanted to be then. Okay. That might be worth addressing. But even then, I think we need to celebrate the fact that running gait is a bit like a fingerprint. Like it's, mm. it's everyone's slightly different, you know, I, runners. I know that I, I will know it's them from some distance because they just have a particular way of running that is, but it is part of them, which is great. So I think we want to celebrate that variety and not change it unless we think it's going to be beneficial. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, unless we think it's going to be tricky. beneficial because, you know, we, we, we can actually make things worse by changing it unnecessarily. And there are, there are kind of cues and things out there that have been used with very good intentions, but actually sometimes do make things worse. Um, so one of them, a popular cue in running circles is this idea to pick your legs up. So mm. running coaches will often say to people, to pick their legs up, which often involves trying to flex the hip and the knee more as we go into that swinging part of the running gait. So, you know, as you've you pushed off with your leg behind you and then the leg's going to come up and the knee's going to bend, the hip's going to bend as well. So you see running coaches saying, oh, pick your legs up. They're almost cueing runners um, to kind of kick themselves in the, in the bum doing that. Mm. Now, some of the research we've talked about has actually suggested that this is making us less efficient because that extra movement of trying to pick your leg up higher comes with an energy cost. 
So this is where we do need a little bit of a note of caution with it, because sometimes the best will in the world, we can give advice that makes people worse, which is really what we don't want to do, or undermines yeah. their confidence in their running gait, which is really what we don't want to do. Um, so sometimes with runners I see in clinic, I'll look at them running and I'll, and I'll say, actually, you've got a really good style. You've got really nice propulsion. You spend plenty of time in the air, getting good flight time. You land really nicely. Let's leave that alone because that mm. is great. We mm. don't need to adjust that at all. If we do, we're only going to make it worse. So I think sometimes celebrate the good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but as you say, if there's a benefit, if it's something obvious, consider changing it. But you don't have to. It's only yeah. really if, if it's, you know, the best option at that time for the person. I had a thought about the, the hip, the, the heel coming up to your butt kind of knee bending that you're describing there. And I think what might have happened there is that if you run faster, like if you sprint, pretty much your heels will hit your butt. You know, that just the way you're bringing your foot, uh, your leg through very quickly, your body sort of naturally allows the, the heel to sort of flick up so that you have a, a short lever of a leg so you can get the leg back through quickly again and put it back down and take your next stride. And I think potentially what happened is because people who run faster, they're, they're going to do that more because they're running faster. So then the thinking is, oh, well, that's what's making them run faster. But actually, it's a correlation rather than a causation. So mm. picking your heel up to your butt won't make you run faster. Running faster will make your heel come up to your butt. And, and yes. actually picking it up will cost you more energy that isn't propelling you forwards. Uh, what do you think of my theory? <laughs> I think it's spot on. I do. I really do. <laughs> I think it is spot on. And there's there's quite a lot, you know, quite a number of things in running that occur without lots of muscle effort. Mm. Um, so actually, our propulsion, you know, the movement that drives us forward, when you look at studies, the muscle activity is really low. Mm. And it, the muscles aren't working hard at that point, because what's happening is we land and a bit like a spring, we absorb that impact. And then like that spring, we release it, we spring ourselves forward. And I think actually, the, the leg coming up behind us is as a consequence of that. Um, so it should happen without a lot of muscle activity at that mm. point and actually if you look at the hamstring muscle activity in those studies it's not very big at that phase of the running gait cycle so i think in a way it's almost like it should spring back up at the back now when you run faster it is going to spring up more uh, because mm -hmm. of the nature of running faster there's higher forces involved mm. we're not in contact yeah, with the ground right. for so long it's going to come up higher but that is a call cool, you know a consequence of running faster as you, exactly as you say rather than you know, if you're doing endurance speeds and, and really picking your leg up, it's, it's a, I think, not a great use of energy. I mean, uh, reminding me of that is the, the arms, right? That, you know, that's kind of um, what I think about arms is people seem to, to do it quite naturally in, a, in an efficient way. And I mean, I've only ever once saw someone run and their arm was like weirdly straight. And, <laughs> you know, nobody runs with their arm dead straight. So there is a way to run that is less efficient with your arms, you know, so that, that infers that there's a better way to position your arms. Do you have any thoughts, any things you look for with, with arms? Or is it like, yeah, that's just the top half of the body will? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, arms are one of those areas where massively understudied. Um, mm. I've not really come across many, you know, many papers that have studied this w without imposing very strange things like, you know, getting a runner to, you know, tie their arms to their side or put them above their head or something unusual. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> the, the only stuff, 
you know, the only real paper I can think of, um, you know, a paper by Arellano and Cram um, some years ago now, what, what they suggested is that most of us like to run with a relatively narrow stride width, which is why pushing people wide feel, feels unusual. And what we do is with our arms, we bring them out away from their, our side a little bit as a way of balancing. So allow to allow us to be narrow with our legs. Mm -hmm. So it might, again, there's going to be a link together in terms of what's happening there. So mm -hmm. if someone's arms are a long way from their side, they, they may well be using it to compensate for being narrow lower down. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see loads of different arm strategies. Yeah. And honestly, I, don't, I couldn't tell you which are the most efficient. So, um, uh, but some of them do look quite funny. So you get your kind of dinosaurs with their, their very flexed from mm -hmm. the wrist. You get your, your DJs that are kind of moving across the body. <laughs> um, there's a weird one that looks like someone's uh, mashing potatoes. But they're all, um, you know, they're all just variations that people choose. And I don't think they're massively associated with efficiency, really. Mm -hmm. um, and again, because you do it without thought, if you try and change it, there is an effort mm. involved. So it could um, be a little bit much... like that heel up to the butt thing is that, yeah. you know, this is a consequence of other things that are happening. And if you start messing around with it, you're likely to make yourself less efficient. And we don't really have enough evidence to say what is a good pattern of arm swinging so let's not get carried away and try and improve things <laughs> um, exactly. if we sort of don't have that you know but because you know there is quite a lot of research on leg biomechanics and efficiency and and as you say I, I i think i've read one study on arms and that's just not enough is it to not to to take the risk of changing someone's arm swing drastically no no, and there there aren't, as far as I know, and of course, you know, I've not read every paper, and I don't, I don't think anyone has really, because there's so many. But as far as I know, there are not a great deal of of studies actually showing that gait retraining improves actual performance, like five mm. k time trial performance or ten k or marathon. The ones that I've read tend to show some changes in running economy, um, but not necessarily changes or haven't haven't necessarily looked at performance. So. We've, we've got a little bit be a bit careful with that and there's also mm. a little bit of a thing that confuses things a bit um without meaning to muddy the waters more too much but these changes have a training effect mm. and that that training effect like any training that you do can improve performance the one of the things that's hard to, to you know tease out of these papers is are we seeing just the effects of changing the way this person runs having this benefit or is it that actually it's having a training effect because there's some effort involved and that is leading to a boost in their performance so it's why there's such a you know it's such a gray area and why mm. i'm hedging my bets a bit not not being very solid in in saying mm. everyone should do x y and z and i think we sh we should see that reflected in the advice that's out there because i think a lot of it is very definitive when yes we're not really ready to be yet Yes, which is why I was particularly keen to get you on to talk about this, because you do see a lot of definitive statements on running technique that I have not seen the evidence for. You know, you see a lot of no. people online talking about this is the right way to run or this is wrong. And then when you go to the research, you're like, huh, it seems a lot more muddy <laughs> than, yeah, than, yeah. Um, than it would no. appear if you were just scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if there was one thing that I would say probably has the theoretically the best support, it would be increasing step rate for someone whose step rate is low to start with. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and by low to start with, we're looking at, you know, 175 or less, mm-hmm. you know, and the lower it is probably the more beneficial it is. So, because if you, if you increase that step rate or, you know, cadence as runners are aware of, um, it, it can help to address overstriding, which mm-hmm. we've mentioned can be inefficient. Uh, it can help to address increased hip adduction, which we've mentioned can be inefficient. It can reduce peak braking forces, which are also thought to be inefficient, and vertical oscillation, which is how bouncy we are, which is also thought to be inefficient. Mm-hmm. It can reduce uh, the uh, muscle um, peak forces in the quads, calf, and glutes, so reducing the demands for them. Um, so it can have potentially lots of benefits. Uh, and there was a study that looked at this, um, Quinitol, in 2019, and they recommended people increase their step rate. They did so by about an average of about seven and a half percent, and they did see improvements in running economy as a result. So that's probably, to my mind, where that's maybe our best bet. Mm-hmm. But like anything, there's that trade-off with it. So if your step rate is already quite high, um, what you'll find is increasing your step rate further makes you less efficient. Uh, because it means that you're not in contact with the ground for much time. And it's when you're in contact with the ground that you can push on the ground Mm -hmm. to ensure that you spend some time in the air. So what happens is if you suddenly push that step rate up higher than than is necessary, you end up with a a short shuffling gait without much flight time Mm -hmm. and more effort and reduced efficiency. So it's more about assessing on an individual basis whether that might be useful for them. Um, and, and if you are overstriding or you've got quite a lot of hip adduction and you've got a low step rate, then it may well be potentially useful for that person. So you think potentially the, the bigger steps and the lower step rate is leading to some of the other, of the first three, potentially less efficient biomechanical yes. patterns. And that's yes. why reducing your, uh, sorry, increasing your step rate may potentially address some of those and lead to an improved running economy. Yes, yeah, because it can address some of those uh, factors that we've talked about potentially. It's also probably one of the easier changes to make because you can use a metronome to do that. So you mm. can set it to, to beep at a certain number of beeps per minute. Um, so, and you can usually then increase people's step rates by a small amount. So, you know, I was mentioning how subtle changes are usually a good way to go. So we might start by increasing step rate by maybe 5%. So let's say we assess a runner and their step rates, 160 steps per minute, which is pretty Mm -hmm. common finding. We can increase it by 5%, which takes you up to 168 steps per minute. We set a metronome up to uh, beep at 168 beats per minute. And we just say to the runner, run to the beat. And it's as simple as that. And that that can be a useful thing to try in in short bursts. Um, but again, even that, all the previous stuff we said about looking at training structure, strength and conditioning, recovery, that's still that's still a better option to look at those other things first, I think. Yeah. Again, so we'll have that caveat in place for all uh, discussion of running technique. But I like my caveat. <laughs> I like my caveats. I'm always careful. So the you know, something I do, and um, I'd be interested to know if you do the same thing, is if the step rate is unusually low, which it depends on their pace, but at their, let's say, a long run pace, if I find it's, be- if it's 160 or below, I'm definitely interested in it. Um, 
and I see some of those other things overstriding, maybe the knees coming towards each other. Um, I hadn't looked at forward trunk lean, but that's something I'll look at in the future. I usually change cadence first and redo the videos and then look at all the other things and see what's changed. Because like you said, cadence is easy to change with a metronome or there's other cues like move your arms a bit quicker and stuff that tend to be quite straightforward. It's a very simple thing to do, as opposed to say, um, the knees apart, as we've mentioned, can have other consequences. It's a bit more tricky. Is that the way you approach it? Or do you have another sort of preferred go-to uh, cue or method? Or does it really depend on the runner? It would always depend on the runner, but I think that's a very good approach, actually, because because all of these running gait factors are interlinked. Um, to use an analogy, if you think like, you know, like a hanging mobile that a, a child might have over their, their bed with various things sort of bobbing about, if you pull one thing on that hanging mobile, everything moves. Oh, yeah, okay. Everything wiggles about because they're all linked together. Um, and the same is true of all these gait factors. It, it's almost impossible to change one without changing another so okay. in changing step rate will influence foot strike a little bit it will influence hip adduction a little bit it will influence how much knee bend you get in the middle of the gait pattern as well um, likewise trying to reduce hip adduction may well not have a knock-on effect for step rate and other parameters so it's mm -hmm. really sensible to try one cue on something simple and then review and see what's changed yeah. here um, and what influences me on a runner by runner basis is like the the initial findings so if their step rate's already high i'm not going to try and increase the step rate in most cases um the problem that they actually present present with <coughs> excuse me in terms of pain and the injury they actually have um so do i think it's going to benefit from an increase in step rate uh patellofemoral pain for example so knee pain in runners actually there's quite a lot of evidence that increasing the step rate reduces the stress on the knee so that would be an example where i might do so there's always got to be a bit of a reasoning process behind it and which again is why you know individual changes based on it are always going to be better than generic advice and there's lots of that you know out there um lots of kind of myths around it unfortunately mm. so I mean, a cadence is an often a value that runners can acquire easily through their information from their GPS watch. Mm -hmm. Is it something that it's more risky to try? So say, I don't know, I look at my Garmin data for my last run. It was a 10K run and my cadence was 165. Would you say, you know what? There's too many other things going on. It's going to change other things on our little kids mobile. So let's just leave it alone unless you're working with someone specifically on all of your complete picture. Or is it something that it's like, you know, you can try and increase that a little bit and you probably will be running more efficiently. What what would you say to the to the listener who just has that one bit of info? To be honest, I think you know, it, it's, it's the runner's choice. I don't think um, if you've got that situation where all you know is your step rate, I don't think I, I would say, oh, you must go and change that because it's 165. Um, but by the same token, um, trying something different and seeing how it feels is fine. But I think you're probably going to get better results if it's based on a more, a more in-depth assessment to look at, you know, how are you actually landing? Are you overstriding? Do you have quite a lot of hip adduction? Does your running style actually need to change? Or is it that you've got a very efficient style, even though your step rate is towards the lower end of the spectrum, in which case let's, let's leave it as it is really. Mm. So we sort of talked about the big three in terms of economy and then 
captains kind of came in as, as part of that process. I think we'll stick to efficiency and performance mm. rather than injuries because I don't want to go down a... Well, I can <laughs> I can just, just throw... Uh, this is a bit of a blanket statement, but there's a, a link, I believe, between the, the running patterns we see that influence performance and the running patterns we see that are associated with injury. Okay. Um, there's some evidence to support this. So two of the main movement patterns that seem to be associated with both reduced efficiency and injury are overstriding and increased mm -hmm. hip adduction. Okay. So in, in theory, the things we're using to address them, so increasing the step rate or cueing things like don't let the knees touch, can improve both efficiency and reduce the stress on some of those sensitive tissues who actually quite often when I'm assessing a runner, I'm thinking both of the, you know, performance hmm. and, you know, um, you know, injury, potential injury benefits. Um, but we've got to be careful that we don't use like one size fits all approaches with this. Like, for example, um, you know, the, the recommendation that all runners run at 180 steps per minute. Um, our, our step rate actually changes with speed. So mm. saying you've got to run at one step rate all the time is like saying you've got to drive everywhere in third gear. It doesn't make mm. any sense. It's also different with different body shapes and sizes. So if your step rate's 160 and you push it to 180 when you're not used to it, you're going to become much less efficient and you're going to have a very shuffly and efficient running gait. Um, similar with, with foot strike. Um, there's lots of articles out saying everyone should switch to forefoot, but actually the research tells us that it's not more efficient it doesn't reduce your running injury risk. And actually mm -hmm. quite a few people get calf and Achilles pain when they change. So I think, again, it's got to be starting with that individual circumstances as the springboard and deciding like, where do we go from, from here? What might benefit this person? So you don't really think there's a trade-off between economy and injury risk there? Things no, that I tend think they to- overlap. Yeah. yeah, okay. Well, that's uh, encouraging. Yeah, I, you'd hope you'd hope that some of our cues that we use for pain might might have beneficial effects for performance um, further down the line. Um, and I, and I, being honest, I'd say there's not lots of research to show that, but you can see the theory behind how it might it might well help. Yeah, and I think that there's always that individual consideration. And I think anyone who actually currently has an injury probably shouldn't be messing around with their technique on their own. Would you think that would be fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I've been researching running gait for about 10 years and I'm still learning things about it. It's complex. It really mm. is. It's quite a lot to think about with it. Um, so I think really it's one of those areas you probably want to speak to someone who's qualified and knowledgeable about it um, because there are a lot of people that will have a go, um, but quite often they'll be going along generic lines um, and pushing you towards things like four foot strike or 180 mm. steps per minute or um, and that might not be right for you and we, we see quite a few people that come and come to us with an injury because they've tried these things when they probably didn't need to mm. yeah i think that it's, it's a good red flag that if your clinician or running coach or whoever it is that's helping you quote unquote with your technique is talking in absolutes and not giving lots of caveats about this might do this, this might do this, and um, let's see how it feels. Then they're probably, I don't know what the word is, but um, 
when you when you have a very small amount of knowledge on something and then you just extrapolate that to think that you know everything because um i similar to you i've been doing this for a while and and definitely don't think there's any one or two things that we can say you must do it this way yes absolutely um it's one of those difficult things with um you know with social media and things at the moment is that the things that are popular are quite often things where people have have very very clear messages mm. without any confusion or any ab- ambiguity um even though sometimes those clear messages are actually wrong mm-hmm. but because they're so simple and they're so clear they get shared they get spread people want to sort of jump on that that bandwagon but the reality of of running and improving performance and addressing injury is that it it is a bit more murky mm-hmm. and it really does come down to that individual and their circumstances you know, some runners will get a lot of a, a bigger performance benefit from sleeping more than mm-hmm. changing their running gait yeah. you know, quite a lot will get more of a performance benefit from changing their training or adding yeah. a strength work. yeah i think that's and i mean i'll give you chance to share your social media handles because i think you uh we had greg lerman on the show a little while back there's there's some people now it's interesting that like you say i'd noticed this tendency with uh, influencers and, and people who are very popular in various different fields they have this kind of i don't know it's almost like a catchphrase or a soundbite they have this very simplistic message that you know resonates and then it, it's not confusing and i think people like you and greg and there's others um have managed to build a, a, an audience in spite of the fact that you stick to a, a very nuanced kind of perspective on things like running technique and, and running injury management and strength training and all other things that you've written about that we're not talking about today but that i definitely recommend the listeners check out your website to to get more information on but it's it's very encouraging to see that because it is very frustrating when you the the f- most common things that you'll find when you're looking for information are very definitive statements, which isn't fair. It's not accurate. Um, but yes, you know, for things like running technique, which is a very complicated thing. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating to see sometimes it's someone uh, on, uh, on Instagram and I won't, I won't embarrass them by pointing out their name or anything, but with over a million followers, um, and the stuff they're sharing is just so outdated. It's, mm. it's like, it's something we moved on from 15 plus years ago and yet getting thousands of likes and shares and comments and people saying, oh, this is brilliant, but it's, it's just, it's just not really based in the truth. And, um, it's not likely to help many people. So I think, I think we want to recognize complexity and, and then, you know, can we boil it down to, to a few things that, that are, that are probably, you know, relatively clear messages that can help people. Mm. So, you know, if you are someone who, if you are a runner, and you either have an injury at the moment or you're trying to boost your performance that the three the, the probably the main things we look at as we talked about would be get the training at the right level because if it's at the right level and uh, for your injury if it's not irritating the symptoms then that can be part of helping it settle um make sure there's enough recovery in there because that allows your injury to to, to settle but also allows you to address the fatigue and have some strength and conditioning in there as part of it to address your rehab needs and potentially to boost your performance. So I'd say they can be three relatively clear points, but for mm. most people, if you really want to get the best results, either improving your performance or addressing your injury, get some help, yeah. you know, speak to, speak to um, a health professional, 
a physiotherapist, running coach, someone like that, get their input because it's hard to do it on your own. Um, you know, you can see from what we've discussed, it's quite a complex topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you've done a lovely job of illuminating that complexity uh, so that uh, runners are a little bit more skeptical, a little bit better equipped with some knowledge if they're going to look at uh, changing their technique, potentially. You've highlighted sort of uh, four, I'd say, key things to look at. Um, you know, obviously, we didn't talk about a lot of things that you know a lot about as well, running injury management and uh, and that kind of thing. But if runners want to learn more from you, which I'd certainly recommend they do, where should they go? How would they find you? Well, the, the best place is to visit the website, which is running-physio.com. Uh, but I am also very active on Twitter. I'm at Tom Goom there and on Instagram at running.physio. Um, so yeah, come and say hello, ask questions and things if uh, if you want to uh, check out the website. We've got lots of lots of resources on there, lots of videos and things that we've recorded over the years that are free for you to access and uh, enjoy. Yep, I will link those in the description. Thank you very much for your time, Tom. It's been very informative. I will be pestering you at some point in the next few months or whenever to come back and talk about something else. But I'll let you be in peace for a little while. <laughs> um, yeah. You also, Thank you for the invite. It's been really good. I'd, I'd love to come back, actually. Yeah, I'd love to come back. So let me know. Pick pick another topic and we'll dive in. Nice. Um, I, I guess you also have a, an online course that you didn't mention. Is that for runners or is that more aimed at clinicians? It's, it's aimed at clinicians. Yeah. So um, that's the running repairs online course. But okay. yeah, it's more aimed at uh, people that treat runners. Uh, okay. But it's it's only open for um, about another sort of 24 hours. So it's, it, we open enrollment for short periods. So that's close. Uh, okay. Well, we do have some clinician listeners. So I'll look a link in the show because I presume you open that periodically. Is that? Yeah, we usually do one uh, one big per period of enrollment uh, per year, which we've just um, come to the coming to the end of now. So yeah okay well thank you tom i will uh i will let you go i'll uh, i'll stop the recording there thanks for listening guys if you enjoyed the show please share it with a friend who you think might also enjoy it and if you have any questions just shoot me an email mboydphysio at gmail.com otherwise i'll see you next time